0: Welcome to episode 239 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 17th of July, 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Fainham. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Will, SQLite browser.
1: Yeah, so if you have an application which stores data in SQLite DB, which is a surprising number of applications, a load of Android apps, for example, store all their data in a SQLite DB, this SQLite DB is completely portable, by which I mean you can take it off of one machine, pick it up, copy the physical file, stick it on another machine, and you've got a full copy of that database. It's incredibly lightweight. It's incredibly fast for relatively small amounts of data. It's just a really well established, old fashioned,
0: copyable file of a database. If I'm not mistaken, that's how the latest version of Audacity stores everything these days.
1: Oh, you're yeah, right. I remember us talking about this uh, a while ago. Yeah, so it, you know, it's a pretty well-established way of storing settings and things in a file. You can query it with a SQL command line. You can query it with its own tool. If you install the binary, it is both the server, as it were, except it doesn't actually run a server. You just interact with it through this binary. And it's also its own client and it's really easy to see what's in there, make changes. It's great. But if you don't want to poke around with the command line and write a whole bunch of SQL statements just to see what's in there, it can be a little bit tedious. And so I went looking for a GUI that would let me do exactly what I can do from the command line, but with a pointy clicky kind of interface. And SQLite browser was the first hit. And it's absolutely perfect cross-platform open source easy to install it comes as a deb on ubuntu very easy to use exactly as you would expect it you know kind of traditional tree view you can click through you can make changes you can save them back to the file really really easy to use very quick great search functionality highly highly recommend it i think to be fair if anybody is doing any kind of software development with a sqlite database they probably already know about this but it took me a few minutes to find it, and I just wanted to share it with everybody else.
2: I think that's a brilliant find. I've been trying to find something like that for ages, because there's so many SQLite databases out there. Um, and I really remember, oh, God, it was with MythTV, which had a MySQL backend, and I used php My Admin. Ooh. Yeah. It really uh. taught me everything I know. Yeah, but, I mean, it was so much safer and easier to use than... Doing SQL queries directly, and it gave me all the confidence I needed. Um, this sounds like the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's very similar. It comes with none of the security holes that PHP MyAdmin would <laughs> yeah. put on your server. <laughs> That'd be the PHP bit then. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> still running on my. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, what? <laughs> on what version is that? There? <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> I was worried when you said it was
1: cross-platform. I thought, oh, fucking Java. But no, it's C++, so it's all good. Mm. (laughs) And the toolkit that they use, whatever it is, is just like an absolute stone-cold classic. It looks like an application of this type should look, in my opinion.
0: I wonder if you can extract the uh, WAV files from an Audacity project with this. You must be able to. That would be my primary use for it. Funny bit of info, you
3: know, everybody goes on about Akhenadi being, you know, has I embedded MySQL DB? Well, it's all moving to SQLite for that as well now. So that'll be interesting for this as well.
0: Graham, WeChat 4 is out. Now, not to be confused with the Chinese thing.
2: Yeah, it always gets confused with the Chinese thing, which I think is a W-E-C-H-A-T, whereas this is W. E e c h a t. Oh, see, I thought that too. I thought, really, Graham? Okay, saw <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> and they're both chat services. They're both, you know, they both deal with messaging, I suppose. But this WeChat with the two E's is a long-standing IRC client that runs in the terminal. I've used IRC for a long time. I've used WeChat for probably the last twelve years. I really miss IRC being more important in our lives. And one of the reasons why I loved IOC so much and still use it is because of WeChat as a client. It's just so, I don't know, it looks great. You feel like a hacker using it. It's got its loads of secret commands that you can use. It, the default view is all you actually need. It's easy to it's actually easy to add servers and connect to servers and join groups and enter your login details. Christ, I've just accidentally hit on the screenshot page. Oh, it's, it looks amazing. <laughs> it's lightweight. You can run it on anything, even old CentOS servers in, in a Tmux session. <laughs>
3: really? That's interesting. How
1: old?
2: <laughs> and it's super, super configurable. There's like um, a script or plugins library that's embed the The browser's embedded within WeChat, and WeChat uses this kind of concept of buffers. Which I guess are like TMUX or screen panes and you can have different groups and different buffers and switch between them with keyboard controls and you can split the view in these. I can see, um, I'm going to be reverbed out, <laughs> but, um, the, the scripts cover absolutely everything from bridging like all the main services. So you can, you can use these scripts to bridge it to Mastodon or Telegram or any other kind of chat or even Slack. It's this kind of flexibility. So if it is running on Tmux on a remote server, then you've got your one IRC instance and you can do things with a single command like install a relay into WeChat. And then there's a client for Android. It's open source on FDroid as well that will basically act as a full front end to WeChat. And all you have to do is provide your SSH key and it connects to your server and joins the session through the local host relay on WeChat and you've got WeChat wherever you need to go and IRC wherever you, without any of the bouncers, without using ZNC or anything like that. And because it's IRC, it's just you can do anything you want with it. You can, you know, we used to use it with uh, Linux Voice for... Augmenting the channel with all the things that were being updated on the flat plan when things came in and they needed to be reviewed—a kind of completely open and programmable Slack. It's just text ASCII, and the, at the end of the day, going through Telnet. But um, I really like it. I still really enjoy it, and, and lament the fact that IRC is waning in its use because WeChat was just a joy to use and massively flexible.
0: And it's only twenty-five megabytes yeah. as well. Yeah. Why is it so big?
2: 20 <laughs> years old as well. I think that's worth saying. The project's been going. And, and version 4, they've really simplified the plugins, the interface, the configuration, still adding new options. It's great. It's a great project.
0: I just use Pigeon for IRC, man. I mean, it's nowhere near as flexible as this in terms of being able to run it on uh, ancient CentOS servers, headless. <laughs> but on the desktop, it's uh, still great as far as I can see. And uh, on mobile, I use Element. The Matrix Client which works perfectly.
2: But I mean, does it, with ReChat running in the background, I don't have to worry about missing anything. I can go in and look at my buffers and mm. if I'm if somebody mentions me, I'm notified automatically. How many people do that, Graham? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I choose to ignore them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, this is a great chance to plug the fact that we have an RSE channel.
3: And I'm logged into a conversation, not WeChat.
0: <laughs> well, if you go to latenightlinux.com slash community, you'll get uh, the details there for all the different communities that we have what
1: i like about this irc client is the integrations that it provides and how easy it is to write an extension i had to try and write a bot for slack a few weeks back and the hoops you had to jump through to get this thing to work now it's a different situation but nevertheless it was a lot of hard work to the point where i gave up whereas i think with WeChat, you can just write a python script and it
0: will work it's brilliant
2: yeah and there's no gatekeeper to it it's just great like that
0: i don't know you get like chan serve and nick serve and that's the the gatekeeper for me i just get confused forget my commands and everything and just end up having to just change my nick to like (laughs) draw 2 or whatever
2: yeah i do admit that stuff's still pretty arcane we could have done a better job of improving that do you not
3: do the underscore Underscore, and then underscore, underscore from when that one breaks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
2: yeah. Well, WeChat has that, you know, like a command history. You can just scroll back to when you last did it.
0: Well, that is a very good, very niche find, Graham. Well done. Could have been
2: an Amiga ISE client. (laughs) (laughs) Then he would have dragged an ESP32
3: chip into it as well, for fuck's sake.
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta... This message is for you. Have you noticed that for the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common? It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials, but it doesn't have to be this way. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, phished credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues. ...without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it ensures that if a device isn't trusted and secure, it can't log into your cloud apps. So support the show and visit collide.com slash late night Linux to watch a demo and see how it works. That's kolid ecom slash late night Linux. him. David Beasley's Python courses.
3: Yeah. Anybody who knows Python, David Beasley is one of the core people of Python. He was one of the guys who tried to get rid of the Gill, which is the global interpreter lock to try and speed up Python, things like that. He's using and he has been running a training course for years that even people at NASA have used to learn Python and then went and landed on Mars with. So his course is pretty cool. And he had a practical Python one, which is a a beginner one, which even if you're kind of into programming and you've done Python, maybe you should glance through to make sure that your Python looks like Python, because mine often doesn't but he now has a Python mastery one, which literally today, the 17th came out about 14 hours ago and uh, you can get access to his course. So he's got his course notes. He's got examples. He's got solutions to his examples too. So you can go right the way through it. He says, there's no video of it as such. There was apparently something that was on the O'Reilly page that was like it, but he says, you don't need it. You'll read through his slides much easier. And you've got all access to his exercise solutions and all the data used for them. And it's a great way to improve your Python if you already do Python. Maybe you've not tried Python, in which case, if you're a coder, this will definitely be for you. If you're not a coder, do the other one first and then get on to this. But a fantastic resource there available from one of the core people involved. And he's a cool guy to talk. If you ever see any of his talks, are always brilliant.
0: That sounded like a very long advert for him, except Mm. that this is Creative Commons, so this is totally in beer.
3: Yeah, I know, he's like dead sound. He seems to come to Python in Dublin quite a lot, the PyCon IE one, and uh, he seems to like coming here. I've seen him a few times at it, and he's always a, like, it's just fantastic to watch him talk. You know what somebody, they're able to do a, a funny talk, but be really informative of stuff as well great and some guy flashed up a piece of code that was like an A4 page on a slide at one point and he went oh you've got a race condition it's like I didn't even read the start of the line
0: how the hell did you do that so yeah he, he knows his stuff let's put it that way unlike you who seem to come with various training stuff every couple of weeks when we talk about our discoveries Either you are learning a lot of stuff, him, or you are pretending that you're going to learn at some point in the future all these things, and you've just got them all bookmarked. Well, this one is a book I wish I had had when I was in uni, because
3: mm. the books that we had in uni were absolute, utter dire shite. And this is Dive Into Systems, and this was actually done to become essentially a university course for systems programming and understanding how memory and processes work but actually do it in a you know a modern take of it and do a nice bit of resource and the advantage of this one is that it's going to be available for free always online so you never have to buy it if you don't want to which is a nice thing if you're a student I would imagine but if you so want to uh, no starch press also have it It is expensive. You wonder if maybe they're kind of getting a bit of compensation back for it being a course book potentially, but it's about $80. I'm not sure what that is in your King Crowns or whatever the hell you've got over there, but it's about 75 euro, I think, roughly. But you can pick it up secondhand for about 50, I've looked, on Amazon. But yeah, look, you don't need to buy it. It's available online, will, will be always, and it's a lovely resource. It's just some of the stuff in that. You just look at it and go, you just cry when you consider the shitey books that I had in the 90s. are just painful.
0: All right. Well, I've discovered Mission Center. And this, once again, is stolen from OMG Linux. Thanks, Jory. And it's Task Manager from Windows, but runs on Linux as a flat pack. I mean, there's not much else to say. It is just a straight-up clone of Task Manager. And I will say a lot of bad things about Windows. The actual interface, I quite like. Task Manager, again, the modern Task Manager, I think is really good. And so I think it's brilliant that we've now got a straight-up clone for Linux. Is it, though? Yes. Uh Uh-huh.
3: How many of these things does GNOME have? I mean, I, I, this was pointed out to me. I'd like to try and claim this as my own rant against GNOME, but really, how many GNOME apps are the same thing again and again
0: and again and again?
3: And why do they need to copy Windows so down to a
0: T? Well, that's why I put this in as my discovery, because I, I wanted to discuss this with you all. Is it a good thing to have straight-up kinds of Windows applications, or should we be trying to do something totally different And I think, yes, it is good to have the option to have straight up clones of Windows, whether that is desktops that look very similar, like those Irish lads who do Zorin OS, that is very similar. I think that's great for people coming over from Windows who don't want to have massive changes. Have that be an option. Have something totally different like GNOME, which is just nothing like Windows. But little applications like this, oh, where's Task Manager? Oh, well, I install this. Oh, right, great. That's Task Manager. It's just little paper cuts that will help people to switch to Linux. And I think this is a brilliant
1: thing. I think you're onto something there, Joe, because you think about how many equivalent applications there are for Linux. You've got top and htop and bottom and a myriad of other applications, all of which are a little bit different, all of which take the theme of the, the underlying problem they're trying to solve and do it in a different way, but only a very slightly different way and if you were coming from windows to linux and what you're used to is the windows task manager all of those previous ones are okay but not quite what you were looking for and because there are so many of them you could spend weeks trying to find the right one whereas you find this one and you go that's what i'm used to that's what i'm looking for i'll install that one problem solved
2: i also think it's kind of none of our business what people want to spend their time doing developing you know if it, if they get excited by the idea of creating another top client or another system monitor tool in go great all power to them i mean i haven't written an application for ages i wouldn't for years this is what people want to spend their time doing and it's none of our business you know it's just more choice at the end of the day <laughs> and choice is good <laughs> like cereal for breakfast
0: <laughs> but just even down to the little functionality like by default it just shows one cpu graph and then you have to go in and change it to biological cores to get the the breakdown. Just, it, every little detail of it seemingly from what i tried was just exactly the same and i love that that's a choice for people coming from windows who want it and the fact that i installed this on kde uh, it was on kde neon you sickened me yeah well, i did that just to troll you Phone. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> <course you> <laughs> no i just happened to be trying out the development branch because uh, again joey had said that, that was running uh, plasma 6 but it reported to be plasma 5 but then the, um, what, what's the toolkit thing, like the library version or whatever, the KDE... Um, frameworks. Frameworks was yeah, 6. Right. So it's sort of like, it's very, very early. It's quite buggy, quite crashy. Wouldn't recommend it unless you're trying to develop for it. But I just happened to be trying that out just and I thought, oh yeah, I'll try this thing out. So Flatpak installed it and it pulled down like half a gigabyte of Chrome dependencies, which was quite <sighs> funny. <I> hate <laughs>
3: See, this is the thing I hate about Flatpak. There's no seemingly there is no maintenance cleanup of it because I had a load of them on there and Liam installed one thing. I think it was grapevine or grape juice or something like that. It's like a wine based easy installer for the various games. And it pulled in about three or four different gnome versions. I'm sure they're linked to other applications at the same time, but I had about four different core gnome installs and it's like, well, how many of them are actually needed? And there doesn't seem to be a cleanup afterwards Well, I w- removed it and they weren't there. So I just went a purge of the lot of them. It was really annoying though. Why aren't they building apps for that? That's what I'd like to know. We don't need yet another <laughs> graph-based system. We need more apps to clean up. There you go. Stop doing the easy stuff.
0: Now, this was an itch that someone wanted to scratch and it's uh, great as far as I'm concerned. I'd love to see more of this kind of stuff. I don't know what it is in Windows that people... Like the misery. Yeah, definitely the misery. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com/support. And remember, for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show@latenightlinux.com. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. This summer, HelloFresh is here to take the work out of eating well. Reach your goals with delicious calorie-smart and protein-smart lunch and dinner options, plus new vegan recipes too. Need to make dinner in a hurry? Look for quick and easy recipes on the HelloFresh menu, including fast and fresh options, ready in just 15 minutes or less. The variety of different meals looks really impressive and I'm sure even I could follow the simple, clear instructions and I have very little experience in the kitchen. So support the show and go to hellofresh.com slash late night Linux 16 and use the code late night Linux 16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's hellofresh.com slash late night Linux 16 and code late night Linux 16. Will, sat dump. Now, you posted a link to this earlier and it was literal gibberish to me i did not understand a single word of what they were talking about
1: well i went down a bit of a rabbit hole the other day a magnificent rabbit hole it should be said (laughs) oh it really was (laughs) i was reading about a satellite that had been put into a sort of parking orbit where it ended its natural life and was just going round and round uh, up in space and suddenly out of the blue just came back to life and started transmitting and some radio hams out there on the internet had discovered this satellite was was broadcasting and had started trying to talk to it and it was just a very interesting story the physics behind it is goes along the lines of when the battery finally expires it kind of goes short circuit and so the electricity generated by the solar panels is passed straight through to the rest of the satellite rather than sort of being collected in the battery and never quite charging properly. So satellites were coming back to life that were once dead and people were picking up the radio signals and trying to decode it. And then that led me to satdump. dump. Now, full disclosure, I haven't actually installed this yet, partly because I don't have the hardware required and and partly because I don't have a satellite dish big enough. But reading about it gives me enough to say that this is something that um, I would be interested in and I suspect other people will be as well. And there's a really nice example on the SatDump webpage about how they go about decoding signals from the Blue Walker 3 satellite This is a satellite owned and operated by AST Space Mobile, which tries to project a mobile phone signal from space onto the Earth, which a normal mobile phone will be able to use. So you don't need a special satellite phone. You just need your normal phone, and you'll have cell phone coverage anywhere on the face of the Earth. And so this satellite had been launched, and some nerds were out there trying to talk to it. And the particular page on the SatDump Webpage page that we'll link to, is about how one of the developers went through the process of decoding these signals from a DVB-S2 signal into a series of ones and zeros, then took that series of ones and zeros did some analysis on it and i've no idea how they do this stuff it looks like magic to me spotted a jpeg header in all of this data ran it through some other clever software and bingo there is a picture from the satellite of its solar panel in space with the sun in the background absolutely amazing just by using satdump and some very very clever maths and some just clever people and now you're picking up images from satellites now this isn't a new thing Weather satellites have been up there for years and years and people know how to decode those but they're like 8-bit images really these are proper high res good quality images and surprisingly a lot of them aren't encrypted and there's also a link there to scott tilly's twitter page where he's talking about some of the things that he's been up to and there are a whole bunch of photos on there some of which are absolutely phenomenal coming from 25 year old satellites but the quality of the picture that he's downloaded is absolutely amazing And there's also some interesting stuff on there where a satellite has re-imaged the same little bit of Earth three or four times over, which apparently is very unusual for satellites to do that. So something interesting going on there in Europe. And there's just a lot of interesting stuff on there, a lot of beautiful images, and just the overall cleverness of somebody being able to pick up this signal, pass it through some software that some guys on the internet have given away for free and turn it into
0: beautiful pictures from space. Absolutely amazing. It makes you think, like, sometimes you feel a bit smug for being able to install linux and (laughs) configure a server and then you think no we're just not even clever at all for being able to do that there's also some pictures on there from
1: stereo which is the something 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 solar terrestrial observatory and these are pictures coming from a satellite that is just staring at the sun i don't know how far away it is a long way away and you can download almost live images of the sun it's incredible
0: Is it just one white pixel?
1: (laughs) It's surprisingly high res. It's very interesting to watch the animations as it turns around. I follow Scott Manley, who
3: does um, space Mm. videos. I think Graeme, you used to follow him for gaming, but he also does the space stuff too. And uh, the Indian space group, I have no idea what they're actually called, have uh, launched a a moon probe. And it's funny because Scott Tilly was following all the data coming back from before they were making their announcements of the various stages and stuff. So it's quite cool to see that where they're like tracking it all the time. There's a Dutch guy that I was following as well. And every time there was a launch of like one of the NRO satellites they'd be like the ones that spy down on earth with the optical and infrared cameras and stuff wherever ever there was a launch where they said you know oh yeah we're not giving you any details these guys be up looking for it Mm. and then looking for it with cameras that are crazy trying to kind of guess what its orbit's gonna be because none of it is published because it's obviously a spy satellite and stuff it's just scary the amount of stuff they do
0: it's unbelievable like great stuff Graham, you've got a Mastodon client, Eboo?
2: I think so. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But the, yeah, that's E-B-O-U. With Twitter, I've used TweetDeck for years, which is like where you have a column view of, and you can add columns for any kind of search in Twitter that you're interested in. And I always used to find that a really valuable tool for probing Twitter and exploring what people are saying. Recently, of course, the API limits on things even included Twitter's own tweet deck, which I couldn't use for a day or two. And even now you have to log in and I can never remember my login. So I was looking for an alternative that offered similar kind of functionality, especially, you know, of the metaverse and Mastodon world. And Ebu or Ebu is the best I found. It's got a really beautifully designed user interface. It looks, I mean, there is a Mac version, but it looks like a native. Mac, I don't want to say they're the better design apps, but it's it has the timeline view. I don't know what that's called on Mastodon. But when you click on a toot in that timeline, the second column opens up with that and all the replies. But then you can click on another reply in that to further explore that in another column. So it's kind of like a conversational view in threaded emails. But I find it a really useful way of working through like a timeline or a search and investigating other conversations related to something you're interested in without losing your place in a, in a stream of research or something that you may be interested in. And it's beautifully done. The main website doesn't make it clear that it's an open source project. So hopefully we'll provide the GitHub link to the source code. The Linux version is... Not tested by them, but I built it from the AUR and it works fine. It works really well and it's really nicely done. And what I also like, we're saying this about IRC, is that with Mastodon and things like it, because it's open and nobody's kind of policing the APIs and how things can be used. I think it's an opportunity for like inventive ways of looking at how people post and tell stories in a way that other platforms just aren't going to be able to compete with anymore. And I'd love to see more apps like this with different approaches to streams of data.
0: And you said it connects to Mastodon and the Metaverse, so it's all in uh, VR, then, is it? <laughs> <laughs> or did you mean the Fediverse? Yes, I meant <laughs> Fediverse. Yes, thanks. Yeah, first you pissed people off with the uh, Facebook bullshit, and then you said that Mac was the best design. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, no, but there's
2: a certain as- there's an aesthetic. I mean, the, the toolkit that's being used is really nicely done. It's it's I think it's Rust. So it's got that kind of minimal, very minimal feel, which actually is very much like a GTK4 app natively. So, no, I yeah, I like the way some Mac apps are designed, I must admit. I kind of like the way they do that sort of the narrow
3: view to a sort of double narrow view to a three times narrow view, I guess it is, Yeah, looking at the proportions. I quite like the look of that because I don't overly like the Mastodon web interface. I like the... The three, well, it's four columns. It's your left one where you you have your writing stuff or your search and then the feed and then the notifications and then the other stuff on the far right. I find it very odd the way you pick something and then the far right column changes to the user-specific one mm. that you're looking at. And I don't know, i just, I, I'm not keen on And yes, I got stick the last time I said this and I'll get stick again, no doubt. But but I do like Maston. Maston is very nice. There's some very cool people there, so. Maybe
2: a new client is the way to deal with this issue. I think it's a good client for like, if you just feel like searching for something or following a thread and doing a bit more investigation rather than the default view, which might be keeping up with, you know, the people that you're interested in following.
0: Yeah. Let's do some feedback then. Michael says, I can confirm that Google Workspace grandfathered plan is not tied to Google domains. My domain is hosted by Cloudflare, but the email is still on Google. I paid nothing for two Google Workspace emails. So that's your fears allayed, Will.
1: Yeah, that's good news. I'm still worried that closing my domain with Google will give me the bad juju. So I think I'm going to wait until it gets grandfathered into whoever it is that's replacing Google domains. Squarespace. And then transfer it to Porkbun.
0: Well, yeah, loads of people got in touch with us to say that Porkbun is rebadged Cloudflare. So not only has it got a shit name, it's just fucking Cloudflare. (laughs) Just use Namecheap, come on. I'm not using Namecheap, they've got a
1: stupid name and they sound cheap. Porkbun's DNS is managed by Cloudflare. The rest of it is a independent service as far as i can tell so if you don't want to use their dns that is fine nobody is forcing <laughs> you to do that you can run it yourself if you like that sort of thing but pork bun as a business i think is okay what do you call
3: that is it a qc at queen's council is that what you are
1: will is that your
3: spare i
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm obeying the letter of the lord not the spirit it's casey now come on get with the mm. times king's council god rest her soul Well, I don't care. You are wrong. Pork bun is a terrible name. Unless you literally get a free bun with pork in it with every demand, (laughs) then I'm massively on board. But otherwise, name cheap all the way. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we're talking about. It's the depths of summer. There might be news stories. It's been a pretty busy summer so far, so who knows? But until then, I've been John. I've been Sam. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.